welcome to What on Rob Green's Earth. Wait, this isn't Rob Green at all. This is Matthew Perro. I've taken over his podcast because I have the passwords to everything. I figured, you know what? Episode 10, he's got this thing going. He's got a fan base. It's time to bring in a hostile takeover. For my guests, I will have the man himself, Rob Green. Hello, Rob Green. Hello, hijacking my podcast, Matt Perro. Ha <laughs> ha, the day is mine. Just so you guys know, uh, he thought I should do something for episode 10. I had absolutely nothing planned but a normal episode, and I did put him on the spot. Not sorry. Episode 10, that's a big one. I mean, you've been talking about doing this for years, and here we are. You're 10 yeah. episodes in now. <laughs> it only took a worldwide pandemic, eh? Oh, you're doing better than me. All I'm doing is nothing. A whole lot of nothing. Working from home. A whole lot of that. So basically just checking your emails on your phone every so often while you go about your leisurely life. Pretty much. All right. What do you got planned for me on this thing? Well, people have questions. Do they? About you. About the podcast. About life in general. Are these actual questions or are you getting me back? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. All right. Hit me with what you got. Well, other than a worldwide pandemic, what made you start a podcast? These are like actual questions. <laughs> actual questions. Um, these are not stupid questions. Actual questions that the <laughs> people deserve answers for. Okay. Uh, we live in a time that's full of fake news and alternate facts and people want the truth. So who best to tell it? Um, yeah, I started this because, well, everybody I'm sure knows by now, I uh, like to dip my toe in stand-up comedy. It's a, it's a passion of mine. And I always kind of wanted to do something to supplement that because I don't get to perform as much as I like to. And I've been talking, you know, I've been talking for a long time about getting this done. And I have like friends that have been pretty supportive about it and kind of kicking me in the ass. And then when this pandemic rolled around, I... So you ran out of excuses. I ran out of excuses. So I thought, let's get this going and at least keep me, you know, active and sharp and hopefully a little bit relevant throughout this uh, whole worldwide bastard as uh, it's been called. And yeah. All right. Uh, so you film inside, correct? Correct. Of a house. Is this the question? Yes. Yes, I do. No, no. This is the question leading to the questions. The prelude, oh. if you will. Okay. So, with that being said, what's up with those sunglasses? Oh, my logo? Yes, um, you're on your logo. There was a picture from a New Year's party that my friend put up, I want to say, shortly after I got back to Nova Scotia from BC. And I don't remember exactly what was going on in the picture, but I know I was completely hammered, and that's why I don't remember what was going on. And I just looked at the camera that was above, and I was pointing at something, and it just kind of, it looked like an okay picture to me. And when the time came to uh, pick out a logo, that's what I went with was that picture, kind of. And uh, I like that for my stand-up as a logo, the sunglasses. It's kind of a little tribute of mine to Mitch Hedberg who was an amazing comedian, uh, died of a drug overdose, which is pretty unfortunate. I mean, way before his time, way before his time. So I'm, I don't have the same style as Hedberg and I'm nowhere near as good as Hedberg, but that's just kind of my little, uh, my little homage to him was to keep that as part of my logo. Yes. His stand up was something. Oh, so good. Well, I guess that also answers uh, question number three, which was where did the logo come from? So you did, answer two questions in one shot that's pretty good yeah yeah um if you want to get a uh, specific on it that is kind of an artist's well my artist rendition of that picture just kind of simplified for i guess promotional or marketing purposes whatever you want to call it and it's been altered to match my appearance as my appearance has changed over the course of that so you the, had hair in the original picture correct I did, yeah, and it was just a scruff and not the full beard. So I'm just kind of, as time goes by, I'm just kind of uh, going over it. So if it looks pretty used up and beat up and redone, then that's why. And to be fair, that's probably accurate to life if you were to look at me now anyway. Uh, what happened? I don't know. I wasn't paying attention or I would have done something to try to stop it. I think life was slowly giving me signs like, oh, I'll deal with it later and just never did. <laughs> Here I am. Here you are. Yeah. Where are we at? Oh boy. This you, one's going to be a tough one. You said like, you said like that was the third one. 
Are we, are we are doing five like the normal format is, except real questions? Yes. So we'll just go to number four. And this one is a very difficult one because, um, you know, everyone that's been on your show has been just great. I mean, some people I've known, some I haven't. But after each episode, I feel like I know them that much better. Or oh. if I didn't know them, I feel like I do know them as people. But oh. uh, who's been your favorite guest so far? Um, no, I can't. I can't pick that. I like... <laughs> It's every episode. Every guest has brought something different. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's great. Like, one of the best things about the people that have uh, come on the podcast, it's been just how, like, open they are about everything that they do. And it's, they put a lot out there for people. Like, I've had people come to me and ask me, like, hey, so-and-so was on your show and they do this. And that's something I'm interested in. Could you maybe ask them how I'd go about getting into something like I had um, a guy I know wanted to get into comic book writing and Andre Myatt was on episode three and I was just like oh yeah like that's uh yeah I could probably uh, get you in touch with him and I just linked them up like hey you guys just talk directly like you don't need me and anyone that I've had something like that for has been completely willing to help someone else out and it's so I mean like everybody's brought something really good to this like like even like even you jumping on when i actually had nothing planned but needed to get an episode out you just i just fucking ambushed you with five stupid questions and you were spot on like and it was unexpected and everyone like complimented that like you got a lot of good feedback on just how on the spot you're hilarious so yeah everyone like i'm sure at some point i'm gonna maybe have someone who's probably the conversation doesn't end up being as enjoyable or something but even like going through the post recording process and like trying to edit, I tend to lose track that I'm supposed to be working on this and I can just listen to them again because everyone brings something fascinating and everyone is just super, you know, like super giving about it, super helpful about it. Like I mentioned Andre Maya, but I mean like Skylar Greencorn, like I linked him up with someone who's like wanting to film stuff and might need some help. Like it's just, uh, Clifton Pettipaw, like he described his recording process with Andre Pettipaw from the first episode. And I know a musician who listened to that and he found like, it's all so good. And I don't have a favorite. Like I just enjoy doing it. That's really good to hear. And, and it's really nice that all these guests have been willing to give their time and help other people out who have specific questions about those industries, because you've had a quite a diverse number of people. Yeah, I mean... I've, Musicians, other comedians, uh, wrestlers. So where do you get those stupid questions that you ask people? They're all from this uh, shiny dome on top of my shoulders. Um, unless there's the contest uh, from episode eight. Yeah, episode eight. That I had people send them in for the purposes of picking a winner. But other than that... I'm, I carry a notepad on me, and if anything random like that just pops in my head, I write it down. If there's a contest, that's probably the way we'll go again, is have people submit their stupid questions, and they go into a... We tried a hat, and the hat didn't work because it's got the snap back on, and the little papers kept falling out. So we put them in a coffee can, and we drew five, and then like it's all anonymous at that point. There's no names on them. It's just the question itself written down, and the guest who was doing the giveaway picked the winner. That's the only other way we get questions aside from my neuroticism. Oh, pen and paper sounds a little bit old school. I mean, you don't uh, put them on your iPhone notes. Old school pen and paper. Sometimes I do put them on my notes, but then when I get back to my little office here, I open up my notes and I write them down on a piece of paper. There we go. So that was five actual questions. Five actual questions. Do you feel happy now that we've done something special for episode 10? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ, I'm going to be locked out of everything, aren't I? Probably. I don't know why you trusted me with them. I don't trust me with my own passwords. Because there's shit that I'm not diligent or responsible enough to do on my own. Fair enough. All right. Well, with that being said, Matt, I think I might take my goddamn show back. <laughs> All right, the hijack is over. Because, uh, I mean, you do, you do a lot of good work here, um, getting to know people, and I definitely am not ready for that kind of responsibility. All right, Matt. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for coming up with something special. <laughs> Apparently, my, uh, my normal banter before the guest wasn't good enough, so thank you for pointing that out. You're welcome. All right, I got a guest to get to. <laughs> you enjoy that? You have fun? 
All right, buddy. Catch you later. All right. Episode 10, my guest. Tell them who you are and why they know you. Hi, guys. I'm, I'm Brendan Ahern. I mean, if you're from Anaganish, uh, I think we've all seen each other enough that you, we might recognize each other. So, yeah, I live here in Anaganish, actually in Southside Harbor, not far from Anaganish. In the county. In the county. That's right. Although we're not. It's funny because like the rest of Anaganish is in Central Nova's electoral district. So during the 2000 whatever election, maybe two of them ago, they kind of changed the electoral border. So now we are being represented by a guy whose name I forget and not uh, Sean Frazier. Not to get political, here, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're in the same county, but in a different electoral district. We share ours with uh, Port Hawkesbury for some reason. Yes. That's all cool. So uh, funny story. Uh, I was doing, was it the first time you came out to see me do stand up? I was performing at a little spot called Dreamcatchers and we were supposed to have somebody come and do like our intros and stuff and they canceled a while before so we're figuring out what to do. Brendan comes to watch the show and what what did you have about six seconds? I was like, you're going to do our intros, do some stand-up and go. Yeah, that was basically it. Although I think I was going to go to the show but we met while I was having, cause I used to live in the alleyway behind Dreamcatchers. There's these two dumpsters by an apartment and we lived in that apartment. So I was stepping out of the house and then you and the fella whose name I forgot on that night and whose name I'm forgetting right now. You remember, you, you know who I mean. Yeah. Hi, Kevin. Kevin Johnson. Yeah. Hey, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, he, you, you guys came around you're like, yeah, you kind of let me know. So we went in and had a fun, had a pretty fun evening. That was oh, a cool yeah. little place. That was. Funny story. Uh, we did a show that week or the week after in New Glasgow. And the guy that did Kevin's intro that night also forgot his name. So it just became kind of a running joke. That you That's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. He, If you know Kevin, he can incorporate it into his bits. It's hilarious. Good. Well, that, that's that's what uh, I guess. Uh, you're thinking on your feet like that. That's I guess you got to do it or you die, right? Oh yeah. How'd you get into entertainment? I guess like in high school or when we were little, like my friends and I would get together on the weekends and like make like we made like a news parody show, uh, kind of like modeled off of this hour is 22 minutes and stuff like that. So we do that, and our first audiences, of course, were like our parents. And when my buddy Sam got a, a video camera, we started doing movies. And then our audience kind of extended to our classrooms because we realized that if you do a movie for a class project, you're like almost guaranteed a good mark because it shows a lot of initiative and creativity. So yeah, and, and then from there we did like, um, they used to do, I don't know if they still do them at the high school, but like the showcases or variety shows. So we entered like some little funny films in those. Like we did one called CSI North Grant, <laughs> which was like super fun to do and like, Actually, like it was, that was the first time we kind of like put a little bit thought and effort into it because like we were going to show it to like you know more people in the school and yeah, it just kind of went from there. And then I got into the theater in Aganish. Uh, I started getting involved with them like on stage. Then I kind of started doing a lot of stuff backstage, and that 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 was great too. Just always really liked that atmosphere and the camaraderie and the collaboration that went along with that type of storytelling, and just kind of following that and. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty much how it's how, how school stuff, you know, playing with friends, basically. So you'd say you prefer behind the scenes more so than in front of the crowd? Yeah, I mean, when I was little, I didn't. You know, when I was little, I just wanted to be like the center of attention, like all the, all the time, for sure. So like when you watch our whole movies, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to watch, but like, it's cringy too. And it's just like, oh, man, like, I'm hogging <laughs> so loud. I'm like so how loud. like on a scale of one to Nicolas Cage, where are you at? Oh man. Uh I'd say like I wish I was like raising Arizona Nicolas Cage, like cool Nicolas Cage, but I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely like or like Mandy Nicolas Cage, but I'd say uh oh man, what was uh, <laughs> Wicker Man. <laughs> <laughs> Not the bees! Oh god! One hundred one hundred percent. So uh, yeah, I'd mentioned you tried stand up before for a little bit. How long were you into that? So that that time where, where like I we all met outside the Dreamcatcher, we had done so myself, a fellow named Justin Gregg, Aaron Wynn, and another fellow named Donovan. We 
just decided we were going to have a go at it. Right. I think that was, yeah, it was in 2016 that summer. And yeah, we just decided to go for it. And then we talked to, uh, I think it was Roseanne and Mike uh, who, who ran the Dreamcatcher, And they were like, yeah, like totally. Cause they were already doing like open mic type stuff, you know, like where people go play guitar, or read poetry. Um, so they were totally down for it. And yeah, then we had a date, you know, like two weeks from now we're doing this thing. And that would have honestly, Rob, that would have been about between one and a half and two weeks before I ran into you that time. Oh, wow. So, so I, not long. I really put you on the spot there. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Not long at all. It was good though. Like you went up, you were polished, like you're set, you had good timing. Thanks. Uh, I, I uh, yeah, I, I think like I've always liked writing, you know, like, and, and definitely like part of my time with fest with theater and Aganish, like they always had the one act play festival every year and the one act play festival at, Fe- at theater and Aganish is just this wonderful time in March where anyone can write anything as long as it's a one act play and you rehearse it, you get everything you need and then you can put it, you can perform it by yourself. If it's a one man show or, 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 or with your group and you'll get the help of like Ian Pygod at the time was doing all the like stage stuff. And, and at the, for a long time with me, it was Ed Thomason, who was the artistic director. He'd after every show, you know, he'd provide some feedback and, and notes and, and suggestions. And this is like a, a professional theater director with like professional actor. And now it's Andrea Boyd. She's doing the same thing. And so we had this wonderful opportunity to test stuff out in that venue, you know, and because of that, I had the benefit of like people like Lionel Doucette, uh, who, who like would always kind of help me out with my stuff. And so I always got a, I always enjoyed that aspect of it. And so learning about timing, like, okay, I, I can build in the laugh here and I, I'm fairly confident they will laugh at that, you know, and, and then, you know, instead of bumbling on to the next thing right away, like maybe let that breathe a little bit, but it was never with a mind towards stand up. It was always with a mind to, you know, whatever we were doing with theater and Aganish. And so I can't speak for Aaron. I definitely can't speak for Aaron because Aaron Wynn was like doing a lot of stand up at the time as well. Like she had done it quite a bit. And Justin's just kind of done everything. So like, and Donovan, he's like a trained theater person. So I don't know why they were all coming out. I, I was coming at it just like as a new thing, as a new kind of uh, medium, I guess, to try and express some ideas that I had. And we decided on stand up, and, and that was it. Uh, we gave it a go. <laughs> and, and thank you, by the way. It's nice to hear that, to hear some compliments about it for sure. Yeah. I actually, uh, we did a show with Justin too, and he was, it was pretty good. He's not doing so much stand up now. I don't think he's just focusing on the improv, but he had done a bit that was actually kind of similar to a bit that I had done. It was funny and it oh, wasn't, shit. oh no, it was fun because it's, <laughs> it, and I'm, if I'm being completely honest, he did it better than I did. So it was pretty yeah, Justin, he's fearless. Like he's got like voice acting, like credits, like he writes for a, uh, I think he manages the website for like the Dolphin Cognition Lab or something like that, <laughs> like out in the Bahamas or, or Japan, wherever he was studying. That's where he got his PhD or that's where he studied did his PhD dissertation. And like he's written books, like science books. He's like children's artist and all this stuff. Like yeah. now he's writing like a, a book with a pretty impressive publishing house. That, that, and Oh yeah. And he like, on top of that, he used to be like a, remember Counter-Strike? the fps yeah he, he used to be a game tester for that <laughs> no way <laughs> yeah so the fact that he's gonna jump into a stand-up like no surprise whatsoever i don't i don't know why uh, uh yeah i think he's just like so busy he just doesn't really do it plus like i don't know like what the stand-up scene is is really like around here like you you know that better than most people really yeah a few spots you can hit here and there like you gotta you gotta be willing to drive a little bit if you want to get more regular time on stage with it so I'm kind of at the point where like I'll sit down I have notes and notes and notes and notes of bits and stuff. And I'm every time I do it, I just completely like redo my notes to try to figure out how to make the timing better because where I don't get as much stage time as I like, I really want to make it hit when I do. I think I'm a little bit harder on myself than maybe I should be sometimes. And mind you, sometimes I am just a hack. <laughs> I'll have a night where I just suck and I'm like, yeah, well that, 
I'm, I'm being fair tonight, but. Do you ever have those like peaks and valleys where it's just like, almost like I was describing this to someone recently. It's like, uh, just like outrageous, like arrogance and confidence in your own like material or your own jokes or whatever it is you're doing. And then like, just before you do it, it's just like comes crap. Like the other side of it is like bottoms out where it's just like, Oh, this is the worst. <laughs> like This is not good. No one's going to like this. <laughs> the way it works with me is as I'm doing it, like I'll get as much practice at it as I can. Like if I can hit an open mic and start doing some new stuff, then I'm all about that. And then I get <laughs> the timing. I figure out where I need to throw more punchlines. And by the time I've got, confidence in it that I, like okay i'm feel comfortable getting paid for this at that point i've said it so many times that i'm just picking it apart in my head so it's just kind of a i'm going out there it's like okay i'm hoping this works this time but there's always that little bit of doubt in my head because i think like yeah this is just kind of hacky now but that's because i've heard myself say it a hundred times true which is probably a good thing i think so i don't want to like i don't ever go out with the like I'm going to kill tonight. I'm going to have this place fucking roar the whole time. It's just get through this bit, get a laugh, get to the next bit, get a laugh. And then just learning how to space stuff out too. So like you don't have all your top stuff at the start of it. And then you let them kind of, you know, like people get a good laugh, then a few smaller laughs to kind of recover and build up to a big one again. Yeah. The, the, that whole process that you described, especially just the going out there, and the uncertainty of it, I think, was the big reason why I definitely didn't want to uh, to keep doing it. I found, like, my level of anxiety in the lead-up to, especially, like, in, like, the five minutes going up to, was just way more, like, this, just the straight-up stage fright was way more than what I was used to with stuff with theater and Ganesh or, like, any, like, little things that we've done. Yeah, I think we did that first show at the Dreamcatcher, and then there was that night with you guys. And then we did one more that same summer at the Legion, at the old Legion, in the basement there. That was a really cool little place. And yeah, like after that, you know, it, it went okay. Like it, people weren't like dead silent. Like they were laughing along, I think, at, at, at some of the things. Some things just kind of like fell flat completely. But after that, I was like, okay, I dipped my feet. This particular medium might for me be more trouble than it's worth <laughs> i'd see you like when you've been working on something or when you've been doing something and not like you look like kind of like almost exhausted like you put a lot of yourself into it mm -hmm. i feel like that's just the impression that i get when you're really into something you just put all of yourself into it so yeah like stand up if it's giving you that kind of anxiety and you're putting that much into it yeah i could see that yeah, and especially like for every time where there was a laugh, there was those moments where there were none, where I had planned there to be one, but there wasn't one. And like, it's funny, you know, how, and this isn't any secret, like surprise, but I don't think it's anything new, but you tend to remember those. Yeah. Those brutal ones. And you, you know, you remember your losses better than you remember uh, your wins, no matter how big or small. It just seems to be the, the default setting, doesn't it? Yeah. When my bits start getting what I'll call my approximation of good. Like I'm not saying I'm good or great by any means, but I find when they start getting good is when I become comfortable with them and I'll mm. be telling the joke, but in my head, I'll be kind of like heckling myself and ripping myself apart. Like, Oh, you should say this, you stupid prick. Like that'd be funny. And then <laughs> I got to remember to say it. I'm not quick enough to throw that in right now because that line happened three minutes ago, but you know what I mean? Like I can come back to it in my head when I get familiar enough with it that I'm not, okay, what should I be saying next? What should I be saying next? When it's just kind of like routine, then I can really start playing with it as I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, that, that's much like anything though, right? Like uh, this is, we're, we're going to talk about, uh, it's funny, we were, before we did this, we were talking about like UFC and martial <laughs> arts and stuff. But the first thing that popped in my head was an interview I saw with uh, George St. Pierre where he's talking about, um, you know, like, cause like that's a, there's a lot of complex movements there and you've got to be able to adapt quickly and you've got to be able to, you know, yeah, move with the punches and whatever, whatever, whatever. And he says like train so that he does it so many times, those movements and those adjustments and that adaptation just kind of happens on autopilot, you know? So like, I guess you just got to keep doing what you're doing 200 more times. And <laughs> you don't roll with it. Yeah, but fuck George St. Pierre, because if he goes out and he fails, he still looks cool for trying. Like, that, you got to yes, be pretty tough to get in there. When I go up and fail, I'm get the fuck off the stage. <laughs> it's pretty unforgiving.
Yeah, uh, it's pretty unforgiving. <laughs> How'd your night go? Well, I definitely got some fuck off heat there tonight. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like, I just just the uncertainty of of the crowd. Like every night, like it could be you have great stuff. You know, it could be your stuff is awesome, but maybe that night the crowd. And I think that's what kind of freaked me out the most about doing stand up was that you have no real control. You know, mm. there's no control whatsoever. Like at, at the one act play festival or at even like any like play, if your stuff is good and you feel confident about it and, and you, you stand by it, then if the crowd doesn't get it, the crowd doesn't get it. But the crowd isn't going to start like shit talking you during the production. That would be awful. You're not going to do that. It's so wrong. And so there's like, you, you get that like little safety buffer between what people think and like what you really think about what you've done. Mm. Whereas with comedy, I think Norm MacDonald was saying, it's like comedy is more objective because the objective is to evoke a noise from your audience. And that noise mm. is laughter. That is the measure of success or failure. And if you fail to evoke <laughs> that noise, you have <laughs> like you failed. And there's that. so many like factors and just so many factors that can contribute to people not giving you that noise. It's it's terrifying. Oh. I found it terrifying. <laughs> I'll go up and I've had nights where it hasn't gone great. And I'll look back at everything I've said and done throughout and I'm like, okay, I definitely should have tightened that up. That should have been better. My timing, like you mentioned timing and just kind of waiting for a minute for people to kind of get through something. And then you start up again, where back in the day, my big thing was, okay, this isn't funny. Just talk faster, get to the next thing. And people wouldn't really keep up with what you're saying. That was uh, something I had to learn the hard way is give them a chance to get on the same page with you. And then you might get that laugh. But uh, I've had times when I had, I had a pretty hot set that everywhere I was going, I was getting a really good response. And then there was one night I did the exact same set. I had that same energy and there was nothing. And like after that, were you like, fuck those guys or fuck me? You know, at first I was like, what the fuck did I, you were there. You were there because I was talking to you at Dreamcatchers. I said, I don't want to blame the crowd, but I feel like it was good. And you said, no, man, that was a tough crowd that night. Cause... <laughs> was that that night? That oh, was, man. yeah, you were there that night. Cause you... That's wild. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, fuck. Uh, I gotta stop drinking bit. so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I do too. It was, it was at the Legion and you had said to me, you were complimenting me on a callback that I had done during that set at one point when I was talking about uh, being able to run really fast after Jaeger bombs and being chased by someone. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, Jesus. So th this shows how much I like fear blanked on that night. Like I, you guys were there that night and like we all did a thing. That was a funny joke too. <laughs> like running away <laughs> on Jaeger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that night I just ate shit and I was like, I don't know what I did wrong. And you're like, no, that was a pretty tough crowd. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> Uh, funny. You justified me for like in that instance being like, okay, yeah, fuck those people. Well, if you, I remember there was also, there was someone else who was on that night. And this, I, I remember distinctly was a really, really brutal. It was, it was, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> there was <laughs> another fellow that night and like, and I'm sure you've had this experience too, where you're watching people and you're, you're kind of rooting for them, but you get that kind of like, um, you, you can just feel the tension in the room where it's yeah. just like, whatever you think how that went last night you know i think we all felt that in uh in one way or another <laughs> oh man i don't know what it was like i think i think the people came expecting something a little more wholesome you know what i mean like if i had to put a, a reason on it yeah i don't know like everyone was like oh god man that was so long ago I, but i remember that that was the night that that was it for for me anyway <laughs> it was like nope i'm good don't want to do this yeah i was just that was a hard hit for me just because i was that was one point during this that I felt like I was running hot. Like I felt like I was just fucking cruising. And then all of a sudden I just hit a wall and I was like, Oh yeah. And again, it's, it's so hard to tell, like, it must be hard sometimes to say like, no, I know that that was good. Like I know that that's funny. And just because people didn't dig it that night, it would be hard not to see it as a reflection on like on you. But like, I think we're all, it's such a vulnerable thing to do too. You know, you got nothing to hide behind when you're, when you're doing it. If it doesn't work, it's like you're putting it all out there. And it's so hard to just like stay positive after something like that. I'm in awe of the people. I'm in awe of people who can. I find now if I'm really kind of not hitting the marks, I kind of go to a place now where I'm just having a little bit of fun for me. If that's, it sounds selfish. I know I'm, I'm being paid to be there and perform for people. But there was one night where I was doing a joke. 
and I'll like holler, like I'll ask a question, I'll wait for people to holler at an answer and I'll do a little bit of crowd play and then I'll just continue on with the joke. So I asked this question and nobody said anything. And I was just like, oh, that's the worst. So I'm like, come on, it's, it's okay. You can talk now. Like you're not being rude, anybody. And then mm-hmm. people kind of looked at around, like you see them looking to be like, who's going to talk? And I was just sure. like, oh shit. So I just said to them, okay, guys, you know what? This would have gone on about another minute. I'm going to go grab a beer at the bar. You guys check your phones, babysitters, whatever. I'm going to go grab one. I'll come back up roughly when this would have ended. And I'll move on to the next thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just a I hard did. reset. Yeah, I did it. And it, like me, like myself and the other comics thought that was pretty funny. Like I was like, oh, maybe this will get a, a laugh out of people. But yeah, it just, it was one of those nights. It might also be like, I don't know. And I don't know if this is true. And, and you might be able to tell me if it is. But like, when I when I think of like Nova Scotia's entertainment scene, like I automatically obviously music. So we got so much music. There's so much live music everywhere. And it's awesome. If you're from a town like Anaganish, theater is definitely, you know, something that people are, are aware with. And not, not even if you don't like theater Anaganish, or if you don't, you know, you've never been to theater Anaganish, or festival Anaganish, there's, you know, the tall ships, you know, that they do every year, those those shows for the Highland Games or Music of the Night, those are always amazing. And so like, you never, I never think of, of stand-up though. Like stand-up seems like a really, really niche um, thing in Nova Scotia. And so maybe the audience sometimes doesn't know what to do. It's like one time I went to go see a David Bowie cover band, but we went to the Rebecca Cohen, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some songs that you just want to dance to, right? You just want to get up, but the Rebecca Cohen is concert seating only. So you're just kind of like, if I was the performer, I would want to see people like up on their feet, but the, the venue doesn't allow for it. Maybe it's, it's something like that, but with like a lack of, you know, people just don't quite know yet what to do at a comedy show or like what the etiquette is. I don't know. I might just be on this rambling now. Like there's places in the province that you can go and people expect that they go all the time. But in an area like Anaganish, for example, where we don't have a lot of it, I think people don't quite know what to expect when they see it live. Their exposure to it would be like yeah. watching a special on Netflix, right? Like if you're watching Bill Burr or Jim Jeffries or Dave Chappelle, then, you know, like that's fucking Dave Chappelle. Like you're, then Absolutely. you come, you drop $5 in a bucket at the door and then you see me and you're like, oh. Yeah. And now you're also asking for audience engagement too. So like, it's not like you're putting them on the spot. Like you are still taking all the risks, but you know, if you're already kind of like unsure of like how to, what your, what your obligations are as an audience member. And then all of a sudden someone's like asking you and you haven't had any drinks in you yet, maybe, or like you're there with a date or, you know, there's any <laughs> number of things that can go wrong or that could, yeah. you know, inhibit you. And th- th- that's the stuff that freaks me. I like to have, I remember I always liked doing the one acts and stuff like that, even though they weren't, you know, they're arguably not that good or, you know, so I think some of them are really good, but some of them maybe not. But at the same time, I feel good about them and we, we, we could control the outcome as much as we can, you know, mm-hmm. and it's in a safe space. I found stand up not, <laughs> not, not, a, it's a brutal space. Yeah. <laughs> I think too, like when people watch it on TV and someone heckles, they're like, Oh, that guy's an asshole. So then when oh, they, ass- so then when they come to a, li- a live show and they don't go very often, maybe you're like, Hey, what's going on? Like, I don't want to like yell or anything. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, it could be. Just thinking that Seinfeld episode where, oh, what's her name? The red haired comedian. Uh, she was on a few episodes of Seinfeld though. And I, th- I think it's her or someone else. Anyway, she, there's someone in the audience who's like, first of all, just laughing way too hard, like an obnoxiously loud laugh in kind of an intimate space. Like there's like taking up all the oxygen. And then like, it's kind of throwing um, Seinfeld off while he's doing his set. And then he says something that they don't like and they start booing him like, (laughs) and it's just like, it's the one time I think on that show where you actually see Seinfeld bombing, like where he has that (laughs) built into the actual fabric of the episode where he's, he's just bombs on stage and it's because of this person. It's a good show. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) There's any other point to that. It's that Seinfeld's a really good show. Yeah. I asked, questions once like i'll do it from time to time i act like i'm not scared of the audience and i remember just doing a thing where i'd ask someone their name and this one guy looked like he was just miserable sitting through like he was i was having a good night but this one guy was miserable and so he's the guy that asked like what's your name and he's like ah oh. i was like cake okay, it's gonna be a good one if you're clearing your throat what's your name and it was just something like brad or something and then i just like ragged on him for like five minutes for just being so irritated that i just asked him his name like you're doing show. all the work yeah i'm like you ruined the show for everybody this was going to be a good one and you couldn't be bothered, man. Like, why are you even here? And he ended up like people kind of chuckling and he kind of got into it that way. So I'm glad it went that way as opposed to the other way where you just got pissed off and left. For sure. That's a 50-50 split. <laughs> but yeah, with the uh, theater, you made the news waves a couple years back on 
something you had done? Yeah, I think Maj really made the, the news waves there. Uh, you, you mean the, the, the one act that we did back in, um, God, 26, 2017? 2017, yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that was, oh my God, I remember, uh, uh, I forget the, the journalist's name, but when she reached out, we were like super excited and everything, you know, because I'd be lying if I said I wasn't excited. It was like, you know, it was kind of <laughs> cool, like, oh, like someone is taking interest and that, that's great. Um, A lot of people were taking interest. Yeah, and, and, and like she came the day... <laughs> She came to interview um, me and Maj in at his house the day of that show. And like we were, I, I, I can't speak from, Maj was super composed and like, yeah, very confident about that. I, I was not, man. I looked like shit. Uh, I was like getting kind of stressed. And so that, that was like both like a super exciting thing. And like all, one of those things where you look at it, you're like, damn, I wish I had like comb my hair at least before, <laughs> before doing it. But yeah, no, that was... Uh, that was a project also set up by, uh, we were talking before we started the show, we were talking about Akala, uh, the adults, uh, again, can't remember, but they, uh, they, they set us up, me and Maj, uh, through the Syrian and Aginish, um, the, the SAFE organization. And so they kind of put us together. And then, yeah, yeah, it just kind of went from there. Anyone Google it? You can hear all the interviews. I'm sure you talked about it back then at Nauseam. Like, you don't want to rehash all the old interviews now, but... Oh, no, no, like, I, I, we weren't, honestly, like, the subject of, the, the, the subject of, about, um, that was newsworthy there was really Maj, the, the, the play less so much, hmm. um, I, I feel, and, and, and his achievement in bringing that, and in going into those places within himself, and also just the language, like, learning the language, I think that was a big part of it, too, like, just, you know, the three of us kind of working together was, it was a great experience that way, and so, I don't think Maj would mind me talking about this but like Maj al-Zahuri uh his family came here from from Syria and he was working at Akala like learn, learning how to speak English and part of a writing exercise that he was asked to do was to write about I think the way he said he, he was asked to write about like the best day of his life or something it was just, just a writing prompt to practice you know the English language on the page and he ended up writing the, the beginnings of a short story, j just like ab about his time in Syria before they had to leave, before the Civil War, and then during the Civil War, and then their, the way they got to Canada. And so at the time, the, the, the then director of Akala suggested to him that he might want to, to flesh this out a little bit and to go a little bit deeper with it. And he, he was interested in the idea and then some folks with the local um, Syrian refugee resettlement organization here in Anakinish, they put the two of us together, me and Maj. And it's so funny when I'm saying this. I was actually hanging out with Maj just uh, last weekend. We went camping up in Cape Breton and we were talking about this. But like, yeah, they put us together and then we decided to meet up just to see if we want to pursue something. And like for us to just to meet because I'd never really met him before and he hadn't met me. So we met at the library just before Christmas break and then... When Christmas break was over, we jumped right in and Lionel Doucette, he was like, without him, Maj said it best, like the three of us together were, were able to work together. If like one of us was missing, it just wouldn't have, it just wouldn't have happened. And Buddy was there to kind of help Maj with the English language. And I was there to kind of take all of this material that Maj was, and I say material, it sounds kind of, it's the wrong word, but really like he, he's talking about his experiences so candidly and so openly and so we'd kind of take all of this material and craft a 20-minute show about it. And it was just a one-man show where Maj was telling his story. And the objective was to enter it into the Antigonish One Act Play Festival. Yeah, and, and it was cool too because in the fall of that year, in the fall of 2016, Maj was in his first ever play. And that was a play called The Ash Girl. Andrea Boyd, it was, she, she had just become the director of the theater and festival in Ganesh, and she put on this show called Ash Girl, which is like an adaptation of Cinderella. It was super cool. And Maj played one of the main characters. And at this point, Maj has like not been in Canada for that long. And now he has to not only learn the lines, which is, you know, hard enough, um, learn the delivery and all that stuff, but he has to do it in a language that is not his first language. Like, it was such a brave move on his part to just like go from like mainly speaking Arabic to starting to dip his feet and really focus on English to then taking that and being up on stage and delivering English. It would be like asking, I don't know how good your French is, Rob, but it would be like asking one of us to like go to Quebec City and just try and speak French to, to the locals. It's scary. It's intimidating. He did it and he really enjoyed, uh, again, I, 
I don't want people to think I'm speaking for him. I, I, I know this. He, he really enjoyed the process of being in a play. He loved it. And so when they asked him to kind of, if he wanted to do something about it with, with this new material, he said he'd like to do a one act. So that was kind of my role in that was taking his story and, and putting it into something that could be performed on stage. It was a great experience. It was, it was, it was challenging and like super, it was rewarding and a lot of good stuff. And we became friends too. Like, like I said, we were just hanging out over the weekend, like so lucky that that happened. And he's, he's like one of the most positive, responsible, like just good people to just have in your life. You know, it's, it's really, really thankful for that experience. Yeah. And I mean, I've yet to see or hear anything negative about that, like that one act play at all. Like everything that I've heard about it, all the feedback I've read, cause like I looked into it, everything is just like, everyone thought it was remarkable. Like everyone thinks it's remarkable and that's, that's gotta be rewarding. Like for both you and him. Oh, totally, man. Like I, I think I'm, I'm definitely speaking for myself, but part of, I, I guess, you know, one factor of wanting to pursue, I guess, like an our a creative project is to kind of chase that good feeling you got when you first started doing it. And like, for me, like, I, I, I think I was saying like my, parents were our first audience and they were totally not really laughing their heads off, but they were, you know, they convinced us that it was great. And so you get that validation and you get that, it's a very, you know, you get that recognition and you're making people laugh or you're, or you're making them think or, or whatever. And then people, you know, that, that, that's definitely part of it. You, you chase that feeling, chasing that feeling is definitely part of it. So to get any type of recognition is great. And then to see that extend past just the one act play festival bubble. And we performed it in New Glasgow, you know, we performed it at St. Avexa again twice and we performed it at the high school, you know, the, the, it was cool for sure. I remember seeing you just kind of after it had kind of settled down a little bit and I was like, so what are you working on next? And you were just like, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think I'm trying to think of what I might've been working on next there. I think shortly after all that, I had made a a decision to, uh, to go to journalism school. So I was, I was, everything was super in flux. And so, yeah, I think I always get kind of flustered when people ask me that question, actually, because like, you know, at 31, I still am never quite sure, you know, it's always, there's always like a million things that maybe this, maybe that, maybe that. And then at certain point, you know, at a certain point, there's just like a moment of, of decision then that's what I'm doing. But if you catch me in a moment before that moment of decision, it's just like, ah. Oh, no, I'm the fucking worst for that. What are you doing next? What do you got in the birds? What do you got in the back burner? Yeah, like um, probably staying in my pajamas uh, and watching Netflix. Yeah, I'm such a hypocritical piece of shit too because I'm like, who's coming up with the podcast? I'm like, oh, no, you want to be on it? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Any celebrities piss you off? Oh, man. Uh, this is going to make me so unpopular. Uh, well, no. No one's, no, no one's going to care. Um, if it makes you feel any better, it's like a prereq. You have to talk shit about a celebrity on this podcast just because at some point, someone is also going to hate that celebrity and they're going to think nobody else in the world does and you're going to make them feel a little bit better about themselves. This is hard because I feel like there are a lot. For some reason, and this is definitely completely me, and it's weird because I've liked every movie pretty much that he's done. Timothy Chalamet just kind of, I don't know, kind of bugs me. And I don't know why. I don't know why because I think he's I think he's an outstanding actor. Like, I've, I love The King. I've been obsessively following trailers and the teasers for Dune. I, I, I thought Little Women was delightful. Like, I think, he's, I think he's a great actor. It's just whenever I see him in interviews or something, I, I just don't, I don't like him. And I'm not sure why. But yeah, right now off the top of my head, and I'm probably thinking about this because I just watched like the Dune trailer a million times. But yeah, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, who else? I, 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 I'm blanking other than Timothy Chalamet. It's weird. <laughs> Is he smug for his age, do you think, when you talk to interviews? Oh, I don't know. He's, maybe it's because he's like so perfect. Like he's like <laughs> this super talented, young, rich, handsome, like all these things he says, he's like always saying the right things. He's like, I think like a little bit cocky, but no one says he's cocky, but I feel like he's cocky. No one's going to use that adjective to describe him, but I feel like he's a, he's a cock, like he knows he's this good. So like that, that, that's almost like, oh, so. So you're <laughs> like, calling him out for being cocky right now. <laughs> I don't know. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Who else, man? There's definitely more, though. I can definitely give, a, like, another example of just blanking right now. You know, I'm going to think about something like, 
when I'm going to bed, I'm going to text you. I'll be like, yes, that person. <laughs> but yeah, right now, Timothy fucking Chalamet. I wasn't expecting that one, and I'm glad you said it, because I love when it's something that completely surprises me. Uh, I'll think of something else there, Rob, and I'll, I'll, I'll definitely just, let you know. Just fire me a message. totally more. Yeah, I absolutely will. I had one. Uh, episode six or eight, I don't, eight, uh, Clifton was on, Pedipah, and he said that, oh, this one's going to be unpopular, but uh, James Corden, and up until this point, I'm like, why does everyone love James Corden? I fucking hate him too. And it was just, that's how I felt. It's like, finally, I'm not crazy. So maybe you just yeah, made, you gave someone that about. same feeling. I think it's like more reflective of us because like he's like a super positive, you know, his whole show is just about like positive energy, you know, that that's his whole vibe, right? And so like, I think if, if, you're, if you're a more cynical temperament, those people annoy you. <laughs> I think he's phony and I think he, he wants to be the star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny, you know, man, but like, I used to think like, I was really like, good at like spotting phoniness. And then like, I was like a huge, huge um, Gian Gameshi fan. (laughs) (laughs) I was a massive fan. Like I lived in South Korea for a year. And like Q was like my connection to Canada, right? Because it like, it had interesting guests on and blah, 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 blah. And like, I really got into Gian Gameshi. And so came home and about a month after I landed back in Halifax I, I flew to Toronto because my friends had gotten tickets we all got tickets to see his live taping of Q in Hamilton so the three of us went and I was like super like just into it and loving the whole show and then afterwards like I got like a picture of me and Gian Gameshi like arm in arm <laughs> and yeah. afterwards we're on the drive back to Toronto and, and my buddy Sam was like I was like oh it was so cool how he just like played the drums with the Arkells and then they sang that oh they sang that talking head song and he sings too man and he can speak Farsi and all this stuff and Sam my buddy was just like oh it was all bullshit (laughs) he's a smarmy guy I was like no man you don't know he doesn't know and then like I get home and I was telling someone else and he and they were like oh I can't stand like every time I hear that good morning like happy Wednesday good morning happy Friday it's like oh I can't stand him I was like you guys are all wrong and then, of course, like the shit went down and it went down hard. And I was like really like confused and upset and all this stuff. And my buddy Sam, during like the early days of that controversy, sends me the photo uh, that he took of me <laughs> and Young arm in arm. And it was just like, uh, that's all he sent. It was just like, <laughs> like with a smiley face or something. I was like, God damn it. Uh, yeah. I, so I think I've got a b- good bullshit detector, but. Uh, yeah, who knows? Timothy Chalamet is probably a, a lovely man. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do a bit where I'd say if uh, Fifty Shades of Grey taught me anything, is that if Gian Gameshi were like young, lean, muscular, rich with uh, smoldering gray eyes and a mysterious aura, it'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> he interviewed her, eh? He interviewed the author of that book not long before that 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 controversy happened. Well, he was sub dancing around it where he was like like credibly accused of, of, of sexual harassment and dodgy shit. But he, uh, yeah, I remember he interviewed her and part of it is like book promotion. Like he's not going to talk shit about what is, you know, I think roundly considered a, a pretty not great book. Um, but yeah, he, on the contrary, man, he, he loved it. <laughs> and I think like, I'm going to really put my foot in it here, but like, I think, I think the, B, the, the, the BDSM community that that book, kind of spoke to or or in arose curiosity within outsiders but within insiders when Gian Gameshi kind of associated himself with that community people within that community were super super pissed because it's like yo you know whatever we do is like 100% consensual do not associate like what you're what you're alleged to have been doing with with what we do like that's really not cool so that that was a that was a shit storm, man. So yeah, my my, my judgment is uh, <laughs> as a not a, I don't have a great record. Oh, we've, <laughs> all, we've all got our blind spots. <laughs> so what are you working on now for for projects? Um, I'm working on it'll be like a short film, kind of. I don't know if you ever sh- saw this old show, Rob, called History Bites. I've I feel like I might have. The the premise of History Bites was was so it was one of my favorite shows when I was little. It was like what if you had a historical figure or a historical moment, doesn't matter what time in history it is, 
And what if they had TV to cover that moment? Like what would Letterman look like if he was talking about the mass, about Sparta or what would CNN's coverage be of the Protestant Reformation and stuff like that? And it was like, I didn't really, I wasn't like a history fan at the time, but I liked the show. It was funny. And I liked the satire element to it. So that what I'm doing is like kind of definitely, definitely inspired by that. It's basically like a, a press conference, like a live media briefing and a major news network's coverage of that press conference. Um, so the way I describe it to people is to think of the most obvious example right now is Justin Trudeau's daily briefings on COVID-19 outside of Rideau Cottage. So, and Rosemary Barton back in the Ottawa Bureau of CBC, she's like, okay, you can see down there in the corner, the empty podium just outside Rideau Cottage. We expect Justin Trudeau to be out any minute. Uh, Vashi Capellas is here with us right now. Vashi uh, is the host of Power and Politics. Vashi, what do you think we can expect today? And then Vashi Capellas is like, oh, well, I think blah, 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 blah. Then, okay, um, it looks like the Prime Minister is coming out of Rideau Cottage now, so let's go live to the press conference. Cameras on the press conference, back at the podium, Justin Trudeau does his thing, that's the press conference, and then it's over, back to the newsroom. Well, that was interesting, uh, blah, 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 blah. Continue watching CBC for more coverage. So it's basically that. That's the format, but the year is 330 BC, September 29th, 330 BC, and instead of Justin Trudeau it's Alexander the Great taking the podium uh, to address the media on the outcome of a battle that they just fought. Mm. And, and that's it. Nice. Yeah. So I've got a little confession. I knew what it was. History Bites. I just wanted to make you explain it for everybody. Oh, yeah. Not fair, <laughs> man. Not a lot of people saw it. I think it was either on Showtime. It might have even been on History Channel, but it was 100% a Canadian show. Mm -hmm. So how's yeah. that coming along? You said it's uh, going to be a short movie. Yeah, no, it's going to be very short, like 10 minutes maybe. Mm -hmm. It's coming along well. We've shot the outdoor scene. Mm -hmm. um, we shot the studio scene with like huge thanks and shout out to Akala. They had this, all this studio lighting just lying there, not being used and said, lent, lent it to me. So that was really important for the studio part. So I've had so much help. It's crazy how many people in town are just like really good at stuff like costumes or props and stuff like that, or how many resources are available just to pull something together. And it's, it's been so much fun. Got a timeline for a release date? Yeah, September 29th. Okay. And uh, yeah. how's that going to be released? I, I think it'll be on uh, a YouTube channel called Black Box Collective. Mm -hmm. uh, Justin Gregg has been posted, like he and a woman named Julia Ritchie. Uh, she's, she's awesomely funny. The two of them have been just doing like little skits and stuff like that. And, and they post them to this YouTube channel. And I asked Justin if, if I could throw this up there too. Um, it's very different from what they do, but I think some of the aesthetic is, is similar, so they'll kind of go well with each other. So yeah, uh, it'll be up on that YouTube channel for sure. Yeah, nice. So since I'm asking you all these questions about it, are you in the mood for uh, a different type of question? Yeah, go for it, man. All right. You see, in life we're told there are no stupid questions, and I'm about to hit you with five of them. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Baskets on the front of motorcycles, yay or nay? Oh, nay. Nay? No. Yay, because then they can put stuff in the basket. <laughs> You're thinking function over fashion there. Absolutely, yeah. All right. You got to have somewhere to put your picnic. Yeah, well, take a motorbike to a picnic. doesn't make you soft. <laughs> <laughs> Question two. Who'd be more upset if they made a movie about your life and your dad was played by Steven Seagal? Would it be your dad or Steven Seagal? Oh, my dad. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be a terrible casting choice. Steven Seagal sure. would just be happy for the work, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But he would, but, uh, but I know, you know, they both be disappointed because like Steven Seagal does like, you know, I, I don't know what that movie adaptation would look like. If they were going to make it okay, like if Steven Seagal was going to be comfortable with that project, my life would have to be like a lot more exciting, I think. <laughs> does your dad do Aikido? <laughs> he does not. He does does not. your dad want to do Aikido? <laughs> Is that what Steven Seagal does? I've never seen an Aikido, Aikido movie. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's his thing. That and uh, <laughs> apparently he trains UFC fighters how to throw front kicks. Sure he does. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. Steven Seagal is training uh, Habib Nurmagomedov how to throw a front kick. That's, that's that's the first thing they think of. Dustin Poirier is like, oh man, I need to work my front kick. Who you can, like, 
well, let's get Steven Seagal in here. I'm sure he's in high demand. You just pay him a small fee and just let him in catering and he's good to go. Yeah, he's great. I shouldn't make fun. Maybe he is really good at a front kick. Who knows? I'd say it to him just to see. Like if he kicks me, I can sue him. I'm sure he's got some money left. Yeah, and then you can say you got kicked by Steven Seagal. <laughs> I get a shirt made of it. All right. Which Spice Girl would most likely talk shit about you after meeting you? Oh, God. I don't know, man. I think, I don't know. I, th- I think we'd all just have a good chat. Uh, but probably, I mean, this is this pr- may, may be obvious, but like, the little I know of Spice Girls. Like, I don't really know a lot about soccer. I'm, I'm not particularly taken with David Beckham. And, like, I'm not... From, from her persona, we see, I, I think Posh and I might not get on very well. I don't know. Yeah. That's your answer? <laughs> like, if I was to have dinner with her and her husband and Gordon Ramsay, I think I'd be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little bonus celeb smack talk right there. Question four. Which one would most likely talk shit about me? About you? Oh, man. Uh, Ginger, because you'd be making fun of her hair. (laughs) Oh, come on now. I don't know. I think there'd probably be like a good like four to five of them be like, that guy was obnoxious. No, I don't want to be on a stupid podcast. But I think one would be like, he was funny. He seems nice. (laughs) But I don't know which one. But I feel like I'd have like a 20% approval rate amongst the Spice Girls. Yeah, I also only really remember the names of like (laughs) like two of them. So Scary, Baby, Posh, Ginger, um, Sporty. 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 Yeah. And the fifth question. What meme are you? Oh, my God. Oh, you know know the one? I've only seen it once, but there's a guy... It's like one of those uh, bizarrely drawn stick figures, but then all of a sudden they'll have like a very uncanny face. Like when they're like, when the punchline comes or in the final frame, mm-hmm. it's just a guy in a shower and like the water's hitting him. And then he's like, the next frame is like him like moving around. And then the last one is that like weird troll face or whatever. And it just <laughs> says, I'm a waterbender. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's, been, you know, like he's he's moving the water around his body like that. Yeah, I've definitely been that person. <laughs> like of all these, you thought of that really quick. And it's not like you were even trying to think of something. You just wanted to tell me that story. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. Oh, fucking, that concludes five stupid questions. That was fun. Those are five fun questions. I enjoy it. It's, it's, it's my... It's my I can't say it's my favorite segment because then that lets the celebrities off the hook. It's my favorite segment if I disagree with the celebrity. But so far, every, everyone's had valid points on why they hate someone <laughs> or dislike someone. Oh, my. So what made you pick Alexander the Great? Um, I, I, I think he's a fascinating. I mean, he's he is. He's, he's fascinating, man. Like he, at, at the I forget exactly what age shows how much research I've done. Um, what he did at his age is like something that when we're in school, you know, you hear about this guy who's like just a teenager and he accomplishing all these like heroic feats, you know, like he's defeating armies that he has no business defeating. Like on paper, he should be losing, but it's, it's his tactical brilliance that pulls it out of the hat. And so that's what we learn about him. And then in pop culture, he would pop up every now and again on history bites. Actually, he Hmm. popped up in one episode. He's just a, a fascinating figure, obviously. And yeah, I just had this idea once I was watching like this surfer who I follow on Instagram named Kyle Lenny. He used to have this kind of like MTV style reality show back in 2014, 2015. And I was watching it and it was just one of those moments where I was like, what if Alexander the Great had a TV crew following him around? And so I started thinking about that and then I actually started reading about him and like learning more about him and you start realizing that maybe he isn't so great. You know, maybe he's just a a spoiled douchebag who inherited the army that his father built and then he uses that army to conquer Persia. Now, the story I was always told as a kid and as a kid, like I'm talking about like bro learning about Alexander as a kid, but like the association you have with him is that Alexander conquered Persia and brought Greek culture to the East, right? And we automatically assume, A, that's a good thing. And we also automatically assume that that's true. First of all, it's like, I think we can, a lot of people will agree, especially with like so much that's happened since 2001, that incursions from Western powers into the East where we're claiming to be bringing them Western values as a default good thing has been, I, I would hope, roundly debunked. But then there's that second assumption that that was his intention. 
that his intention was to do this, to build a great empire. And it's actually, no, man, his intention was basically to cosplay as Achilles Hmm. for as long (laughs) as he could without any regard to the consequences of his actions in anything outside of his own self-aggrandizement. It wasn't really calculated, you know, like that is one, I think, credible lens to view the, the story of Alexander the Great. Now, that doesn't take away his brilliance at winning battles. Like Alexander the Great is great at really one thing, and that's winning battles. You wouldn't want to face off with him because he, he's thinking three steps ahead of you. He knows you better than you know you. Like he's going to win. But the analogy I thought of when I was reading this book, it's called Alexander of Macedon by a guy named Peter Green. Notice he never calls him Alexander the Great. He calls him Alexander of Macedon. And Peter Green makes the point, like, I was reading this book and he's really driving, like, a lot of my thoughts about this are influenced by this book, full disclosure. I'm not a historian by any stretch. I could be 100% wrong. This is really based on this historian's um, interpretation. And it's a wonderful book because he just, he does give credit where credit's due. But what I was thinking is, like, we call Muhammad Ali the greatest. But he lost fights, right? Mm -hmm. Muhammad Ali lost fights. Floyd Mayweather, he never lost a fight. No. Floyd Mayweather is really, really, really good at boxing. He's great at punching people in the face and avoiding getting punched himself in really boring fights. But that's a whole other thing. Um, So why do we call Muhammad Ali the greatest and not Floyd Mayweather? Excitement. Yeah, maybe. Like, Muhammad Ali gets the title the greatest because he was more than just a boxer. You know, he stood up for his values. I don't know. I'm not a well-versed in Muhammad Ali's life, but he has character traits that go beyond just what he was really good at, which was boxing. That made him the greatest. We don't call Floyd Mayweather the greatest, and nor should we. So why should we call a guy whose only purpose was essentially vanity and fame, who in the pursuit of that objective topples a, I think, 500-year-plus empire, kills a lot of people, and not just Persians. Like, yeah, Alexander never loses a battle, so a lot of his soldiers don't die. But then when his soldiers mutiny after the battle in India, and he has to take them all home because they're not going to go any further, because what the fuck are we doing in India? Hmm. We conquered Persia. Like, you rule. You're the king of kings. You're a god, man. Like, what more do you want? No, we're going to keep going. No, we're not going any further. Okay, we're going to go home. Uh, Navy, you go this way. I'm going to march with the army on land back to Babylon. Uh, Never mind this massive desert in the way. We'll just walk over that. So the highest casualty count in Alexander's army is arguably a death march that he foists on his own men for his own reasons, whatever they were. But anyway, I just thought that'd be fun to kind of play with that public persona versus actual personality. And what better way to approach that when we live at a time when our politicians, our celebrities, everyone, and I'm not throwing shade on them or or anything, like it is what you have to do, but you do have a very public persona. And then I find it funny when that starts to rub up against their true personality. You know, so, so my, my approach to Alexander the Great was like, what if Logan Paul was Alexander the Great? What if Kyle Lenny was Alexander the Great? What if Dan Bilzerian was Alexander the Great? You know, what, what if these just douchebags were Alexander the Great? Because to me, that is my impression of Alexander, except for the fact that he is a genius at winning battles, like hmm. not taking that away from him. <laughs> just like I wouldn't take away Floyd Mayweather's boxing credibility. You know, hmm. he's awesome at that. So that, that's, that, that's kind of the, the fun of it. And I finally decided to do it probably because of COVID-19 because um, I had a lot of time on my hands and finally figured out a good format to do it in because we've been watching these press briefings nonstop, right? Since March. So it kind of just all clicked. So they make a movie story of your life. Steven Seagal is playing your dad. This is how this is inspired. Teenage you sitting down watching TV. Steven Seagal's like, Hey, Brandon, wait, what? Brendan, 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 Alexander the Great accomplished so much more by your age. What are you doing? And you're like, someday I'm going to let everyone know that he was a douchebag. He was an asshole. Dad. <laughs> Steven Seagal. <laughs> it's funny, you know, that, that uh, again, I, man, I could go on for a long time about this. So you'll have, you know, I won't go on much. But like what you just described about, a, uh, about someone saying, hey, like Alexander did this when he was 18. Where are you? Julius Caesar is said, like the story is that Julius Caesar 
was a governor in, I think, Spain. I'm so butchering this, whatever. But <laughs> the story is, anyway, he's reading a life of Alexander the Great, and the dude starts crying. And, you know, someone's like, hey, Julius Caesar, you know, why are you crying? He's like, because I'm like 30, and this kid did all this awesome stuff at like 18. Like, what am I doing? And so that kind of gave him the shot in the arm to go commit genocide in Gaul. <laughs> it was a different world. It was a different world. That's uh, that's what it was like being an influencer back in the in the, in the early days. Yeah, if they had selfies, man, it would be like Crassus would have a selfie of him with like Spartacus's slaves, like crucified <laughs> along the Appian Way. He's just like Ugh. the end of the movie is just you and your dad just coming together over this, and him being like, "I'm just taking it on you because I don't know keto." Yeah, and his and Steven Seagal, like my dad's like side story would be like, "I don't know this, but he's on the side making money to provide for me by teaching UFC people how to front kick." <laughs> Like that's his like shameful side gig that he wants to keep a secret from me. You, uh, <laughs> you need the money to, to budget your film and it just shows up anonymously. And then Anderson Silva just shows up and thanks your dad for teaching him the front <laughs> kick. And then that's how you find out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good ending. Fuck. I like that. Why aren't I writing more movies? I know. Like the what? whole final scene could be like us going to a UFC match together. <laughs> the one where Anderson breaks his leg and just... <laughs> oh. I don't know how that guy's still walking. He's got money for the best doctors. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that's, that's how. Because <laughs> he got his surgery right away and he's fine. All right. What would you like to plug? I give everyone time to plug at the end. Oh, I, I mean, I, I, want, I want everyone to, to see Dune. <laughs> Pick something um, with no. like the biggest Hollywood marketing budget. <laughs> just just yeah. give it big shout outs on my little podcast. <laughs> just trying to get the word out there. There's this movie called Dune. Uh, no, I'd say um, Hector the Spectre at um, Festival Anaganish. They could not do like their regular festival season, obviously, because of the, <laughs> the pandemic. So they instead did a radio play, which is available, I think, as a podcast. You can just Facebook Hector the Spectre or Theater Anaganish and that will definitely show up and you don't need to leave your house so you can just listen to it i know a lot of hard work went into it also it's fun because it's it's a play about the ghost of the bower theater and mm. i think a lot of people have heard about hector so I, I would highly recommend it yeah it's fun awesome so as far as uh, your works go anything social media wise you want people to follow oh no i'm not really i don't really i'm not really on social media not that much anyway i mean you can follow me on instagram um which i need to look up hold on i've never done this before hold on yeah, uh, yeah my instagram is you can yeah you can follow me on instagram at brendan ahern 005 all lower caps there's pictures of garlic and salad and a gingerbread <laughs> house <laughs> and some crows yeah that's the that's the best way to read and he was also going to mention uh keep an eye out for his short film about alexander i didn't realize how long i talked about that uh for sure <laughs> september 29th that's when it's done We'll be posting it on the Black Box Collective YouTube page, but I'll be adding it to my Instagram and, and stuff like that as well. And we'll just be, you know, I'm not a complete Luddite. Like, uh, I'll be adding it to Facebook and through the Black Box Facebook page and, yeah, through my Instagram and all that stuff. Hmm. Should be fun. Excellent. So, do you know what your last duty is as a guest of the podcast? No. You got to hit the outro music. Oh. Have you not heard people do this? No. Well, basically, we end the podcast. I call for the music, you say hit it, and it, it, it goes through uh, it goes through post edits, but yeah, it sounds like you're doing it real time. Cool. All right. Right now? Whenever you're ready. Hit it. Hit it.